Hello everybody, let me turn this music off uh, Welcome to episode 105, damn it, it's still on, no, 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 you, you, get out of here, sir um, But welcome to the show, this is our first episode of the third year um, Yeah, I'm not giving up, I'm staying strong and uh, I found a perfect guest to start this year off, so <clears throat> I hope you all welcome her and um, support her as much as you've supported everyone else. And um, all her uh, information is in the description. So um, let's just get to it and uh, let's hope to have another good year. All right, guys. See you on the next episode. Okay, guys, back again, as I always say. Um, you know, as I said, I'm always trying to find great guests, and uh, I think just about every, probably once or twice a week, I check Podmatch just for new people, and I type in my typical search, you know, disability, disabled, whatever, and see if anyone new shows up, and some weeks there is, and some weeks there are, you know, a couple new people, and obviously this week I found two new people, um, one you'll hear coming up, and one you'll hear now. Um, and like I said, it's been a really, it's been a godsend for the podcast because I, I really have found so many inspiring people and, you know, I was reading her story and I got to meet her the other night as she was going for a stroll around the uh, neighborhood. Um, and so I was very grateful to, like I said, it, it's very therapeutic for me to meet all these people because I'm, you know, I have my own problems and, um, you know, as I said before, the goal is to kind of make sure people don't feel alone and, you know, it makes me feel the same way because knowing that there's so many people out there fighting for, you know, so much in their lives and inner strength is a, a really big thing that I uh, thrive off of and, and just appreciate and respect in people and this woman has that as well. Um, so you want to kind of tell us your name and obviously a little about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Ryan. Um, I go by Ryan Ray Harbuck in the professional world, I suppose. Um, and I am a paraplegic. I was in a car accident when I was 16 years old. Um, and so I believe TJ, that's how you found me was just, um, solely based on being a paraplegic and being paralyzed and using a wheelchair. Um, so I'll tell you guys a little bit about, um, that accident and that night and who I am and who I was. Uh, um, before you, before you do that, can you, do you, from what you do remember before the accident, like what... What do you, what kind of you know? Obviously, I'm a lot changed in your life after the accident. What what kind of person were you before? So yeah, that's a great question. So before my accident, um, you know, I was a I was a I would say a very typical kid. Um, I was a teenager. I went to um, one of the biggest high schools in the Denver area, mm -hmm. and um, I was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer. And um, really felt that a big part of my identity. I had a decent social circle, but I definitely was shy and um, enjoyed playing the role of a wallflower um, to my peers and authority figures and such. I um, I wasn't. I was extremely soft spoken. I remember even in I think I was in fifth grade, and I had a parent teacher conference, and my teacher asked my parents if I ever spoke at home. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, um, I was there too. It, with so that. that 
Yeah. And so I was, you know, I think just innately, I um, have always been sort of an introverted person, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, this is how I've been. Um, I think that, you know, as a teenager, um, I was dealing with all of the things that teenagers deal with in terms of like, um, feeling a little bit, um, you know, whether I was socially accepted by my peers and if I was in the popular group or not, and Mm -hmm. was I wearing the right thing? Was I doing the right thing? Was I saying the right thing? And I think that that, um, is something, unfortunately, that is, is probably true for most people's adolescence and teenage experience is, um, just really trying to find yourself when you're really actually just trying to be like everyone else. And I think that that's really where I was at that point in my life. Right. Well, yeah. When you're so, you know, again, like you said, just trying to fit in with certain crowds and, and whatever and kind of going with that, like, did you have any interactions with anybody who were paraplegics or anybody with disabilities? And like, if so, did you, like, what was your take on it? Obviously beforehand, before knowing you were actually going to be one, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, you know, I, I thought about that quite a bit right after my accident. Like, what did I think of people in wheelchairs or what, what, what was my response? And I didn't really have one. I didn't, I couldn't come up with a person in my life or even a person that I remember seeing on the street that used a wheelchair. And, you know, I know, I know that's, that's ignorant and that it was probably entirely not the case. Um, but I didn't really pay attention. And, um, and I, and I think that that both something that was unfortunate, but also something that I had to realize, like, maybe that I'm not a big deal to everybody else. (laughs) No, I mean, the one thing, like, you know, again, you're also 16, so you're young and dumb and, and whatever, but as we all were at that age, but you're also, you know, being a wallflower and trying to figure out who you are, your identity, and, you know, all you, you know, obviously you're going through puberty and all that and everything that's kind of coming, obviously it's happened earlier, but all these things are kind of colliding and boys and whatever you're attracted to and um, you're trying not to be the the dork or the nerd or whatever. And and so you're so consumed with your life and you're trying to fit in and, 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 you know, you're it's a very selfish time, but you're a kid, so you're trying to figure out you're trying to find ways to not step on those landmines, if you will, to not stand out or whatever way. And so other people that are going through their problems, like you just don't have time for it. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but again, you're so consumed and worried about being, you know, weird or, you know, like I said, sticking out that you're just trying to figure out how you fit in this little community, you know, this community or whatever you want to call it. And especially in high school, high school is rough for a lot of people. Um, absolutely. And I think like, um, I, I actually just finished writing a book, my memoir of my experience growing up. And one of the things that I really talk about in my earlier chapters of, um, going back to my world and my peers after my accident is like trying to find that cool factor, because that's what it was when you were 16 is, was, you know, is what I'm doing right now. Cool. Do other people think I'm cool? You know, that was really like the the foundation of it all. And and after my accident, being sort of the only person in a wheelchair that I knew in my, you know, immediate bubble, it was really hard for me to find, well, what's cool? Do I have a cool wheelchair? Is is that such a thing? (laughs) Right. 
But I mean, like, and I said this to you the other day, but you know, well, first with what you just said with high school, like really no one's really cool in high school. I mean, the definition <laughs> right. of what high school cool is sure when you're an athlete or whatever, but most of those people are just, just brickheaded dumb and there's mm-hmm. nothing about them. They're just attractive or they, they, they do something that draws attention to them. Um, but really no kid is really cool. I was, I was a dweeb kid. And again, I tried to fit in whatever I can and I had really nice sneakers. So then people kind of was like, Oh, he's kind of cool. Um, but I had the eye sure. thing that stood out or whatever, but you know, what I was saying to you the other day about how you were strolling around your neighborhood in your wheelchair and, you know, you just had the confidence of just, you know, I'm still me and I'm still, I'm, you know, I might stick out or whatever people may stare or whatever, whether they do or don't, obviously some of it's just a false narrative that goes through your head, but, um, you know, you're, that's cool. Like you, the things you do now, now that you're an adult and mature and, you know, you've overcome so much, like, that's what really cool is back then in high school, like trying to find what cool is. You have no idea because you really don't know shit about life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so cool really doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, we all made mistakes, but at the end of the day, you're 16. Like, what are you going to do? As long as you didn't kill anybody or or whatever, like you, you should be good. Right. Um, But yeah, so I like to, like I said, I just kind of give people a little, idea of who you were before because a lot of people don't you know with me it happened when I was four so I don't really have a whole lot of life to share with people as far as before my disability took a hold Um, and some people have it later in life and some people are born with it and whatever but it's always nice to paint a picture of where people's mindsets are um, before an accident happens because some people really are just naive and they go through life like do 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 nothing can happen to me and obviously you're 16 so you expect that um, and then tragedy strikes and it's like, oh my God, I have to like, f- I have to change my whole life and I don't have a choice. Right. Well, and we spoke to this the other day that I really think that my accident happened at a really positive time in my life because I was so young and because I, you know, didn't really know much else other than I wanted to keep doing everything that I did before and I wanted to be like everyone else. And so from the very start, that's really where my mindset was. And that's where my goals went is just, you know, how can I be like everybody else again? And I think that that sort of naivete and that sort of just like silliness about it actually really saved me in a lot of ways. And it kept me from really dwelling on my past um, yeah. experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. How, how old are you? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, of course. I'm 41. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you also forget some certain things and obviously a car accident can shake a little out of you, but, um, you know, but what you can remember, it's, it's always just kind of a juxtaposition to see where someone starts off and, and how quickly life can turn for you. Because I think a lot of people, especially with people in wheelchairs or just people who have disabilities, especially on the, the, the physical outside, because, you know, we have all these invisible disabilities, but the ones who really show, obviously you can't hide your disability it's kind of a, a real reminder to a lot of others that, hey, you know, this can happen to you. Like, this isn't, again, there's some freak accidents. There's some really rare disabilities that people get from whatever. But, you know, in your case, you were in a car. A lot of pe- people are driving. There's millions upon billions of people driving right now. And it's one false accident, regardless if it's your fault or someone else's, um, or it's just raining or, or whatever you know, you can become disabled very quickly. And, you know, even if you're disabled, you can become disabled again. It's not, you know, 
It's mm-hmm. there, there's nothing protecting you from it. You just have to try it. You got to hope that you don't go through what we went through, and hopefully you again the landmines. You just don't step on the wrong thing and explode. And, you know, hopefully you go through life, and your pain is more emotional than physical because it's not hard to become us. Right. Well, and, and something that you just touched on was that the fact that my disability is something very visible to the world, and I always sort of struggle with that inwardly about you know what what is better? Is it the fact that my disability is displayed to the world? And so it gives somebody, you know, sort of like a natural way of addressing me and, you know, and, and so seeing that I have, you know, some inherent struggles and things like that, you know, or is it the, is it the people that have disabilities that you don't see outwardly that, um, that really have, it more difficult in terms of just communicating and integrating with the, with the rest of the world. And I don't really know the answer to that. Right. Well, but before we kind of delve into the, the, the accident, you know, you mm-hmm. were saying you were struggling with, you know, you're the wallflower, you're the girl that uh, people don't aren't paying attention to. But then when the accident happens, now you're standing out regardless if you want to be. Exactly. Did you like the weirdness of that? Like, did you in a weird way? I mean, obviously you probably wanted to go back the way you were, right? Oh, um, absolutely. That was such a hard time. I remember, um, you know, I went back to school. Um, so my accident happened um, in February, and I spent pretty much the rest of that school year in the hospital, and I was discharged um, in just in time for the summer. And so I kind of had like those summer months to really start to get a good idea of what my life was going to be like and how uh, you know, how to do like a daily routine and how I actually was able to learn how to drive again. And so I got some independence back that way. Um, but then, that, you know, stepping back into that school, and that would be for my senior year of high school that, that fall was really, really difficult because, you know, like you said, I, I didn't really want to be noticed. And now all of a sudden I knew that everybody knew who I was. They knew what had happened to me and people reacted and, um, for the most part, people reacted in a way that was best for themselves. Um, and I, and I understand that now, but it was really difficult because I, you know, there were people that I were fairly acquainted with that I spent, you know, classes with and walking to other, other classes with, and, um, that I really enjoyed that no longer really knew how to talk to me and how to approach me. And so those friendships just went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't do anything about it either. And, you know, and on the flip side of that, I think there was, you know, groups of really popular kids that wanted, you know, to be in my limelight a little bit that I <laughs> didn't really want and would start to talk to me and um, want to be my friend or hang out with me. And I just saw that as, you know, something really fake and, um, you know, regardless of what, whether it was or not, that's how I perceived it. And that really hurt. And it really, you know, I really didn't enjoy being back in the world in that way. And, um, I just, you know, like, I, like you said, is I just kind of wanted to be invisible. I wanted to go back to being the way that I was. And, you know, now all of a sudden I was the girl that was in a wheelchair that was in an accident and I would go into a classroom and I'd have, they'd have to like prop me up next to the teacher's desk to have a desk to sit at because oh, yeah, that's the you worst. Know, they had, they, you know, they had like the, the, the desk with the chair attachments and there was no way I was going to try to like finagle yeah. that 
Yeah. Um, yeah, you kind you of know, became like a, a local school celebrity because when you hear celebrities are just like, oh, no one ever paid attention to me. And now that I have money and fame, <laughs> girls are throwing themselves at me. And it's like, it's kind of the equivalent to that sure. where you're just, you're getting these fake friendships when no one ever cared to talk to you. I had that in high school where uh, my senior year, it came out, my, my grades for my junior year was like at the top of the class or top of the school. And no one really knew because I was quiet and I kind of stayed myself. And a lot of people didn't pay attention to me. And then it was like, I remember when they announced my grades, when they were announcing everybody's and everyone in my class turned around and was like, him? And, <laughs> and then I had people coming up to me say, hey, can you help me with calculus? I'm like, look, I hate calculus. You think I'm going to help you? You know, like, and, and you never talked to me. I let you borrow a pen and you never gave it back. Like, I just started being evil. <laughs> I just started remembering all the shit people did. And I'm like, not that I was, like, you know, I was bullied in like preschool, middle school, those type of times. But I, when it comes to high school, I was good. But I just didn't have a lot of friends. I had a decent amount of friends, but um, but it was just it was so interesting. All of a sudden now, like, and it was for a different reason than yours, but people were now paying attention to me, whereas I was just a weird blind kid that no one really cared to talk to. And now it's like, oh, you're smart. Oh, now we could talk to you. Now we can make you one of the popular. And it's like, no, 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 thank you. I'm good. Um, right. You, sure. you take care of yourself. Well, and my accident, the way that it happened, it actually did get very very publicized um, by like local media and such because it was kind of a traumatic event. And so, you know, beyond the kids in my school, like the, the community knew about it and knew about me. And um, there was a long while where I could barely go anywhere out in public without somebody asking if I was that girl. Wow. Kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you just go ahead? Why don't you just take us into that night and kind of how it all unfolded, I guess? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I was 16. I was in the middle of my high school swim season, and our high school puts on a dance every year where um, it was like a Sadie Hawkins style where the girls ask the boys. And um, I had a boyfriend at the time, and he went to a different school, and I really wanted to go to this dance. And so I sort of suckered two of my girlfriends from the swim team to invite two of his friends that also went to this other school. And um, you girls so are traitors. You know, uh, well, you know, it, it worked. And so it was three <laughs> three of us high school girls um, from the swim team and then three boys from this other school. And, you know, we planned out the night accordingly. We went to dinner and went to the dance. And um, I will stop for a second. I will tell you that all of this that I'm telling you is, is um, from information that I have learned about the accident because I actually have no memory of it. Wow, okay. Um, I have no memory from about I from even like the day before my accident to about a week after. And so um, because of that, I think that it made it a lot easier for me to kind of rise above it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly, certainly much easier to talk about it. Um, right. But so anyways, um, so from everything that I've pieced together, from everything that everyone has told me, I'm telling you this story. <laughs> I know, you're fine. Um, and um, so anyway, so we were, um, our plan as this, this group, we were going to go, I believe, to one of my friends' house to watch a movie. But while we were at the dance, we ran into another group of friends who were going to go bowling. And so we decided to follow them and go bowling as well. Um, for the evening, for us to all be able to fit in the car together rather than, you know, doing anything extravagant, like getting a limo or anything like that, um, one of my girlfriends was able to borrow her parents' Suburban, um, which was a six seater. So it fit all of us in the car pretty naturally. Um, 
And nobody is totally sure what happened, but we were driving on the highway to go to this bowling alley and the driver of our car swerved the wheel. Um, there's some thought that, that she was just doing it to joke around, something like that, and lost control of the, the car. And the car ended up um, flipping and go- crossing the grass median of the highway, and it hit a car head on. Um, the car of that, or the driver of that car that we hit, um, passed away instantly. And um, our car rolled and flipped, and I ended up flying out of the car um, and landed they estimated about 75 feet away and so I sustained a lot of injuries just from that just beyond um, my spinal cord injury which is the reason why I am paralyzed and in a wheelchair were you in the Um, back passenger or were you I was I was in the yeah I was in the very back so where where the seats where there's kind of like a cargo area and there's like small seats there that's where I was um, with my boyfriend and he actually passed away um, instantly from the impact. And I somehow broke through the side window and flew out. Um, and from, from what I was told from the state troopers that night is they actually had a hard time finding me, that they knew that I existed. There was, uh, there was a, at least one of the passengers in the car that was sort of coherent and was able to talk and say, you know, there were six of us in the car, three boys, three girls, and sort of go through all of that. And um, when they finally found me, I wasn't really breathing. Um, I was losing a lot of blood. I had actually cut um, an artery in my arm. Um, My legs were really mangled. I had a lot of road rash. And so from my understanding, the paramedics basically just scooped me up, threw me in an ambulance and hoped that I was going to make it to the hospital. And so obviously I I did. How many survived Um, from the accident? You said that your boyfriend died, but what about the other four? So everybody else survived. Um, there were um, two brain injuries that were sustained during that car accident um, mm-hmm. among two of my friends. And that was really, really hard. Um, and to just sort of understand what a traumatic brain injury is and how does one recover from that. Um, right. Thankfully, both both of those people have done a remarkable job recovering um, over the years and and live fairly normalized to this day, which is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, everybody, everybody had something, everybody was, was pretty banged up. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it became such a, um, sort of like a, a newsworthy, uh, event because, you know, it was all these high school kids. Um, there was no drugs or alcohol involved. Um, they were never quite uh, able to determine whether I had my seatbelt on or not. And, you know, that's something that I've always sort of tried to struggle, you know, and, and really come to terms with. And I, you know, I just really hope for my sake and for everybody else that I did my best and I had it on and, and mm-hmm. that, and, you know, and, and so I don't have that sort of like regret in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But so I guess back to the story, I made it to the hospital. I had beyond uh, my spinal cord injury, I sustained um, pretty significant road rash. I had collapsed my lungs. And so they put me, they hooked me up to a ventilator machine to breathe for me. Um, I had broken both of my legs to the point where they had to put rods in them to sort of put them back together. Um, I had to get skin grafts put on my legs to kind of, 
put in place of some of the skin that had been lost from just, I guess, running, you know, rolling through the the asphalt of the of the highway and mm. uh, broke broke both of my arms, my uh, hips, my shoulder, you know, just pretty much everything. And, um, and so it took really, a really, really long time, even just to get to the point where I could sit up again. Um, and so, like I said, I don't have any recollection until about a, a week after, and I was in the ICU unit for a whole month after my accident. Um, and I was hooked up to a ventilator that entire time. I didn't get off the ventilator until they moved me to a multi-trauma unit for a month. And then from there, um, I was moved to a local rehab facility that specializes in spinal cord injuries and brain injuries. And it happens to be one of the top facilities in the nation. And so I was super, super lucky. And that was an amazing place that, you know, and that's where I really kind of learned what my new life was going to be like. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, going back to the way that I sort of was treating it is that, you know, I had no memory of my accident. And so there was really not nothing to dwell on in that respect. And so it was really able, easy for me to be able to just separate my life before the accident and my life afterwards. And so from there, it was, my, I took my focus and put it back on like, well, what kind of backpack was I going to wear at school? How was I going to be cool that way? And, um, you know, what kind of car could I get into and could I drive? And, and so I, you know, my focus wasn't really, you know, what had happened to me and, what was I going to do for the rest of my life or how was I going to live again or breathe again or swim again? And it was just, uh, for me, it was, well, I'm going to do those things again. And, and sure enough, like the next year when I went to school, I, you know, signed up to swim on our high school swim team because that's something that I always did. And that was like a, a huge part of me. Um, and I remember that being a very pivotal moment as well. It's just getting back into the pool and realizing that, this is really hard. And it was something that, you know, where I was realizing that, you know, I really took for granted some of the talents that I had and some of the push and drive that I was wasting before my accident. And, you know, I, I remember being in the water and watching all these girls passing me because clearly they were much, much faster than me and could just stay a lot more in the water. And, and just like being just really upset about the fact that I couldn't do that. But, um, but being able to be in the water again and being able to actually swim, I think, was really pivotal for me. And I didn't really understand it until many years later, right. how that 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 truly was like a saving moment for myself. One other thing did, before we kind of go away from the accident, did you did you have any survivor's guilt as far as with, with your boyfriend dying? <sighs> you know, I don't I wouldn't say that I had survivor's guilt. Um I think, though, that there were people from an accident that absolutely did and probably still do to this day uh, because there were people that, you know, were, were less injured than myself or the two that had the brain injury or obviously my boyfriend who passed away. Right. Um, and so I think that those those individuals did have some survivor's guilt. And, um, you know, and I actually recall, you know, kind of trying to help them through some things and. Um, but I will say that even like the driver of my accident that night, we sort of parted ways, um, pretty quickly after it happened, because I think it got really, really hard for her to see me because again, I was that visible reminder of that evening and right. she dealt with a, a lot of, 
um, depression and emotional things and trauma just to try to get past that herself. And so I didn't blame her for one bit. And, and as unfortunate as it was, like, it, you know, it had to happen for her to be able to, to move on, move forward. Well, I think it helps you. I mean, I don't know any way it can help, but it might have helped that you weren't the driver. Because if you were the driver, sure. even sure. even if even if your accident still happened the way it did and you flew out the window or whatever, you know, someone dies on your, technically you're the, they're all relying on you to get to them from point A to point B. And yeah. whoever you want to blame, who can remember who actually caused the accident or whatever, that's irrelevant. But even if you weren't at fault, you know, the fact that someone died and, and brain injuries and all this thing, regardless of what happened to you, I'm sure it would have been a lot harder if you were the actual one behind the wheel. Totally. And I think it's like, it's human nature for people to want to place blame on things to be able to help themselves understand it. And, and I, to this day, truly understand the fact that it was an accident and they call it an accident because there really is, you know, there. It, it wasn't intentional. No one meant for it to happen. No one wanted it to happen. And there's no sense in placing blame on anybody. Yeah. Well, and this is kind of why, you know, when you see some really good parents, when they were constantly checking on their kids, especially when they're at the age that you were just, you know, let me know when you get home and, and be okay. Totally. Don't go to these, don't go to these certain parties where people are putting stuff in people's drinks and there's drugs and sex and all that, because Look, man, in, in this case, you guys were all sober. You were just going to have some fun, bowl, and whatever you were going to do. And, you know, one thing leads to another, and, and all of a sudden a tragedy happens, and someone dies, a couple, you know, and then three, you know, three or four major injuries. Uh, actually, a couple deaths because you said the other driver. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just people lose their lives. And now, now you know, cops have to show up at somebody's door and say, hey, you know, your kids are no longer here. And it's, it's got to be terrible. Um, right. And yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's that cliche, a split second in your entire life is changed forever. <clears throat> and I think that um, people don't realize how fleeting things are and how things can change dramatically in in an instant, in less than an instant. Yeah, that's why I like some of those. And I know people probably think they're annoying because they're kind of like the modern day cigarette commercials, but the ones where they're showing like someone's their last text message. And then they're dead mm-hmm. because, you know, they were too busy looking down. And it's like, no, that's super important because I've been in cars with people and I can't drive. Um, and I'm trusting you to get me a place. And even though I'm also thankful for you driving me, but I'm also trusting you to get me to where I need to go to. And if you're looking down at the phone, like, you're going to kill us. It's, it's a huge potential. Yeah. You could kill us. Um, and, you know, I, I like that some of those commercials because they're, they're very chilling where it's just you see a text message mm-hmm. and you'll have a little conversation and then all of a sudden you hear, you know, two cars colliding and then that's it. And it's like, yeah, man, there's a lot, especially at a young age, 16-year-old girls, that's what they're doing. They're texting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, there's so many accidents that do happen and it's, like I said, so many people die or become deformed or whatever term you want to use. Um, yeah, there's a lot of tragedy that just happens and it just car accident or not, just like I said, you could become disabled in an incident, uh, instant. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, like I said, your life is one way and now it's entirely different. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm sure, I mean, you, you know, like I said, you've become a very good person. You've turned into, you know, like you, you're starting to own your disability. And I know, I know you've, you know, you know, I'm sure you still have your depression and so on, but you know, 
it might have happened. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you, do you feel like this happened for a reason? Like, you know, did you feel like you become a better person because of the accident? Yeah. Well, and honestly, I think that's how, that's like one of the mottos for my life is that things happen for a reason. And I think that I developed that probably early on as sort of a coping mechanism. Because if I I truly felt like I, I deserved to be paralyzed or, or that things don't have any meaning or any sense, I think that that would have been really hard for me to move forward. And I think that, um, so I think very early on, I just kind of was like, well, this was, this was supposed to happen. And I am a better person because of it. And um, I mean, to be honest, I think that I've probably been able to accomplish things that I would never have otherwise um, in my life. And, um, and I owe a lot to the perspective that I've gained from my accident and from just being, you know, so close to death and understanding like just how valuable and also how fragile life is. And, um, and I think that a lot of that came from me understanding acceptance and that is like a huge piece. I think, um, I wrote about that. Actually, I'll tell you this. I, so there, um, a few days back, maybe a week ago at this point was like international day of disabilities day or something like that. Okay. And, um, and so I actually, I like went through my manuscript. I like searched for the word disabled because I was like oh I'll find a quote that I talked about being disabled and I'll post it on my social media blah 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 whatever and there was not a single time I used the words disabled or disability in my entire manuscript and I thought that was kind of interesting and and like sure I used wheelchair a ton and paralyzed even and and paraplegic even but there wasn't one time in that entire 75,000 word manuscript that I actually used the word disabled. And so, uh, which I, I, I didn't realize until I was searching for it. And so then I went kind of through my manuscript and was like looking for like, well, what could I post? What could I post about, you know, being disabled? And um, I found a lot of times that I spoke about acceptance. And I, in fact, I have there's a chapter of one of, uh, in my book that's called The Recipe for My Acceptance of Your Acceptance of Accepting Me. <laughs> gotcha. I like and, it. And, um, and, I, and it stems from just the fact that not only did I have to accept my accident and accept my disability and just accept, you know, myself as a whole person, um, I also had to accept the way others perceived me. Um, I had to accept my natural surroundings and the fact that they weren't always going to be what I would consider accessible to me. And I also had to accept the way that others accepted me. And, um, and again, I think that was something that I took in really early on because after my, you know, after my senior year, I went right to college. And again, still trying to be like everybody else and still trying to live my life as like normally and as unassuming as possible. And I realized really early on that I could do that as long as I was willing to accept and be okay with myself. And as long as I was able to show, you know, my community, my peers, my classmates, what have you, that I was okay. And And it kind of became this like, invisible job for myself. It is this job of like, I'm going to show you that I'm okay 
I really am okay. And then that will make you okay. And it really, it really was the truth. You know, once I think, you know, anytime you have like a new experience with somebody, um, especially since I do have a very visible disability, as soon as somebody understood that I was all right, and I was just a kid in a wheelchair, then you know, it became okay. And, and it wasn't an issue. And, and I think that I have worked really, really hard in my whole life to make my wheelchair and my disability a non-issue for everybody else, as well as for myself. And I think that, and I think that that ultimately is, is what has helped me sort of go beyond my disability. And, you know, and I never, I never forget and I never have forgotten what happened or what the circumstances are, but I certainly forgave it all. And I think that that is really important yeah. for me, at yeah. least. There, well, there's, there's, there's always a huge process you have to go through no matter how old you are. And, and obviously, you know, I talk to so many people and a lot of it is when, when, if it's not something they're born with, but when something happens to them and their life changes for a while, you're kind of numb to it. It's not, you don't really understand it. And usually the people around you are taking it the hardest. Um, totally. Because you're still in shock and obviously you're depending, you know, you were in such bad shape too. Um, and so then once you, you know, maybe six months, whatever goes by, and then it starts to hit you when, you know, obviously you're out of the hospital and everything else and you, you come to terms with, oh, shit, what is this? Like this is not the life that I just had. Um, right. And then, you know, and then as life progresses and you start to realize like when you, even if you start to have moments where you come to terms like, okay, you know what? I'm in a wheelchair. Okay. I could deal with that. Then you actually start to get out into the world and then your disability gets so much harder because now people aren't accepting you the way they did before or, or however you perceive it to be, but you're, you're different. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so that's why, I, you know, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, the disability gets harder um, beyond the disability itself. Like the disability is rough and there's always going to be days that are better than others. And, and, and you know, psychologically and mentally, there may be days you don't want to get out of bed because it's like, well, why? I got to try so much harder and it's just better to, if I just lay here. But then when you actually get past that and you still do everything else and you, you, you struggle to take a bath or whatever it is that is hard for you to do, cook or whatever, go get down the steps or, how, well, obviously you don't go to steps, but, you know, <laughs> you do what you got to do and then you step out into the world and you go to school or you go to work or you do whatever every other person does and then you realize like, oh, like, yeah, like it's much harder to do everything else and it, it's not necessarily my fault it's other people making my disability harder on me um and that's always something that's very hard to cope with yeah i i this actually just came flooding back i remember when i was first injured and first um kind of like exploring my new world i remember being like at the mall or something and thinking like why does everybody think that i'm hard of hearing because I felt like every single person that came up to me talked to you louder, was talking to me very loud, very yeah. enunciated, and it was like, what, what is, what are these people's problems? Yep. You know, and and I've been there, and that, yeah, and that's just you know, and it and it's really to no one's fault. Like you know, nobody was trying to make me feel badly, um, and I understand that fully. Um, but yeah, you know, it, the the way that the world works, it 
it's a, it is a lot harder when you do have a disability or just something that makes you different than everybody else around you. Yeah. But when you, when you do come on the outside, uh, on the other side of it and life kicks you around and, and, and if you're not in a place where you're suicidal or, you know, you've been learned to come to terms with who you are and you learn to love your disability as best as you can. Cause you know, there's always, you know, we're all still insecure and all that. But um, when you come on the outside the other side of it, you kind of, you're, you're, you're so much tougher to the world. Um, Cause the older I get and the more, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine and we, you know, she was talking about her bad news and I, I was saying, well, we're kind of built for that even though that's kind of sad, mm-hmm. but we're built for bad news. We're built for that because we're, we've endured so much. And, you know, it, I don't know, you just, you, you toughen up. And, and and some sometimes it sucks because sometimes you get too tough and it's hard to let people in. It's hard to really trust anyone or accept anyone because mm-hmm. you feel like they're not going to love you or accept you for who you are because you look like this or whatever. Um, but when you actually do kind of figure out your individuality and you kind of learn to love the deepest parts of you not to be corny, but you start to really accept, you know, what people perceive to be wrong and what you thought was wrong in your case with your legs. Um, you know, you really become a very strong person and you kind of morph into the best person you could have ever become, um, with or without the accident. Absolutely. And that, uh, that was something that I learned in writing my book. Um, I didn't really, you know, have like a goal in mind of like why I was going to write it or what I was writing. And I don't really think that I originally wrote it for anybody. But when it was done and I went back through it, what I learned from it was that I had have had a lot of instances of, of just like a natural vulnerability in my life um, because of my accident, because of whatever um, my, my disability. And those instances of those vulnerabilities that feeling like truly icky and alone and isolated that's when I learned that I had true strength and that I was brave and that I could do a lot more than I would have ever considered for myself and and that's really what I I sort of taught myself through writing this book was that like wow you can really do a lot with your vulnerabilities if you let yourself yeah of course. Um, so kind of go from where you kind of left off. You, so you were obviously you're in a pool. People are passing you. You're, you're still dealing with that. Like, wh- where do we go from here with your with your with your life? Well, I think, you know, like I said, like I was just like my main agenda was just to continue on as I was and do it like everyone else. And and obviously that wasn't going to happen the way that I was doing it before and you know and in, in, in terms of like swimming obviously I wasn't going to make the state team that year or really you know do anything wonderfully in the pool uh, I, I learned that I could still do the things that I wanted to do but they were going to be different and and that was like the take-home lesson I think of swimming that year and that was a really good lesson for me to to learn going into college and that you know I went to a four-year college and I got my degree in biology and, and I really think that I actually chose that major because of the time that I spent in the hospital and how it really sort of kind of ignited something in terms of like my learning for the sciences and the human body. And, and so that's kind of an interesting take from there. And then, um, you know, as I have considered myself and my life 
you know, just something that things are going to happen for a reason. I became uh, a swim coach. And from there, I became a teacher and I taught high school biology for nine years. And um, from there, I ended up back in the pool and um, trying to compete myself again, because I felt like I had some like, unresolved regrets and issues of, you know, of from the past of me not giving my all to something. And so I kind of like, at one point made a promise to myself that I was going to try as hard as I could to get to the Paralympics and, um, and see what happened. And so I spent two years training in the water again to try to make the Paralympic team, which if somebody's listening and doesn't know that the Paralympics um, have actually been getting a lot more press lately in the last few years and so I think it has become much more of like a household name but is um it's the games that run alongside the Olympics um and they're for people with uh, physical disabilities sometimes cognitive but for the most part physical disabilities and so um so I trained for that for two solid years to the point where I was getting up at 3:30 every morning just to, so I could get a full practice in before I went and taught school for a full day um, and then coached in that evening. Um, and so by the time I made it to the Paralympic Games that year, that was 2012, um, I, I really felt um, at peace with myself because I knew that I had done everything in my power and all I had left was to try. And I swim a great meet. And um, I always had this like going into the meet, I had this like weird feeling like this is going to be a life-changing moment for myself. And I, and I didn't know if that was because I was going to make the team or because it was something else, but I just had this like sneaking feeling that like, this is going to be something monumental. And um, lo and behold, it really was for me. I um, ended up the, the very last night of the meet, I was getting ready to swim my final swim and I met a coach that had just been starting to coach Paralympics. He had um, a little person that he was coaching that was trying to make the Paralympic team as well. Mm-hmm. We had a brief conversation right before my last event and I scurried away and swam and um, we had exchanged phone numbers and emails so that we could kind of talk more about coaching and coaching Paralympic things because it's a very different ball game than um able-bodied swimming or Paralympic or even just like the Olympic games. Um, and long story short, we ended up connecting um, through text and email. And then we started Skyping and honest to God, three months later we were married. <laughs> hmm. And, um, and that, you know, I didn't make the Paralympic team and I realized that I was fine with it because I knew that I had put all of myself and all of my energy into it. And there wasn't a single thing I would have changed. And I felt, I felt really good about that experience. And obviously I felt really good about, you know, having this chance meeting with, with this guy that saw me for who I was and not for what I wasn't or would never be. And, um, and it was really easy for us to connect. And um, I think at that point, both of us were well into our thirties and it was like, Hey, let's not wait any longer. And um, we got married after just three months of meeting and um, he, he was living in North Carolina at the time. And so he moved here to Colorado where I'm at. 
and we began coaching uh, swimming together. And um, now to this day, we own a swim team, the two of us. And um, our seven-year-old swims on the team, and I have a two-year-old as well, both boys, and they keep me extremely busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, with, with your condition and everything, like, some of these parents who, who have kids, like I, I knew someone, I know someone who I had on the podcast named Natalie and she's, uh, she has chronic regional pain syndrome and she's always, most of the time is in a wheelchair, but she has two kids that are disabled and they're in wheelchairs and she has to get them around. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I told her like, I'm like, you're mother of the year. Like, I don't know how you do this. Like I don't, Absolutely. and, and, and on, you know, and in, in your case, but in her case, she's a single mother. And it's like, oh, dude, wow. like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand. Like, you know, and that, that's why I like, you know, I'm always in awe of what, you know, I, I kind of take myself out of my situation and I know what I've done is great and things like that. But, you know, when I listen to like your story, it's like, yeah, you're like a real life, like superhero in a way. Like you do things that are, you, you don't have to, like you, you continue to push yourself and you have this, you know, and again, I'm sure you have really bad days and, you know, emotionally you get down or whatever, but you, you keep going and there's such an inner strength to keep pushing and, and knowing that, you know, uh, that none of this is easy. Like for you to swim yeah. and because, you know, you look at swimmers, they use their legs all the time. Yes, you know, Mike, Michael Phelps <laughs> didn't become the best in the world by just using his arms. And, mm-hmm. you know, and but what you do and you just you find a way to fit in. And I think I said this to you the other day, but I, that's why I've always used the analogy of like people with disabilities are always it, it's it's the equivalent of, of trying to get into a house that has no doors or no windows. You know, it's a world that we don't fit in. We don't in some ways people will say we don't even belong, but we always find a way to get in that stupid house um, no matter even though the the obstacles seems like it seems like there's no way in hell we're getting in there um and like well and i i think that's something that that is exactly what my disability has taught me it's taught me to navigate the world and to think really critically about things and to try different options and um you know to really not be stagnant in um, a black or white because that's not how the world is and that's not how it's going to ever be for me and I think that that that's something really beautiful that being disabled has taught me yeah and, and yeah I mean the, the the older I get and the more I, I have experiences with people like you like it, it it makes me appreciate everything I've been through and it makes me uh, understand like how amazing we are uh, because like I said there's I, I'm always super attracted to inner strength and, and just uh, how strong a person can be no matter how tough their life is. You know, then, you know, there was that whole Rocky movie where they, he says, you know, no one's going to beat you down more than life. And it's, it's up to you to get up and he's going to kick you mm-hmm. down and it's going to keep doing, but you, you the, the more you get up, the stronger you become. And, you know, it's true because if you, you know, like I said, there's so many people that just are, when you listen to the story on paper and you say this and this happened to this person, this and that, and this and that, and the story keeps going and you're just like, okay, how are you still here? Like, how haven't you killed yourself? Yeah. How haven't you emotionally given up? Like how are like all these things come into play? And when you look at it on paper, you're just like, I don't know how a person survives that. And then you look at them, you know, 10 years later after you read that story, you go like, wow, like that's, that's how strong a human can be when they get to a place mentally that they're just unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll tell you that being a mom now 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Make makes that even more apparent to me because it's not about me anymore. And um, you know, I I think that you know the, the the struggles that I have they go away because my fight is for my kids. Yeah, yeah. But that's that that kind of embodies who you are as a person because you know obviously you have kids and the mother kicks in and all that, but. You know, yeah. you have enough issues that it's like, well, yeah, but I have kids, but I also, you know, I have these issues to deal with and I, I can't give them the time I need to right now, but you still do. Um, do you have any daughters? No, I have two sons. Two sons. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, either way, you're still going to end up being a real role model to them. But, um, you know, and I, I know we kind of talked about it before and we talked off mic, but how, how was like your, your family as far as growing up and to now, as far as were they supportive of you and everything you went through? So I think, you know, when I had my accident, my family was sort of in the middle of falling apart. And I think that my accident um, may have accelerated it a, a bit, but um, probably in the end for the best. Um, my, when I was, before my accident, my parents weren't connecting very well. They didn't really speak to one another. I don't think they really liked one another and to be honest you know I was a kid and I didn't really understand I didn't really know what had happened or if anything had happened but I knew that they just didn't really enjoy being around each other um I have a sister who's three years younger and so she was 13 at the time of my accident and that I know hit her really hard and it was like several years after my accident um she had she was struggling with different um depression and things like that and I and I do recall at one time she had a therapist that told her that told me that her that my accident um was responsible for sort of like turning her brain off and shutting her down and um she had a lot of leftover scars and things from that and you mentioned early on that um it's one thing when something happens to you but it's another thing when it happens to a loved one and I see that wholly. I think that um, my accident and my paralysis impacted my family way more than it ever did me. And I think some of that is because I think that when it happens to you, you sort of still are in control. You're in control of what you do from the situation. And when you have something terrible happen to a loved one, you're completely out of control. There's nothing in your power that you can do to make it better. And that's like so much worse. Yeah. Um, when you also get to a place so, where, you know, again, I don't know how loving and how honest your family was with each other, but my family always kind of was like a tough love type of thing. And my mom eventually, once I kind of came sick and she was like overly protective and all that, but there was still, there's still something missing in my family where there's not a lot of, you know, there's still love and we still say it, but it, you know, I've always been a. I've always tried to break that chain and be a better person and try to show love to people, even people that are not family or friends. Um, but when when you're in a place where you know you're not used to hearing compliments and you're not used to, um, I don't know, like a certain just way of speaking, you kind of you don't think you have much of an effect on people, even though it's kind of clear as day, like she's your sister and all that, but. You don't really think like, oh, a car accident of mine is going to make someone go into a dark place in their head, even though, you know, it makes sense now in hindsight, I'm sure. But you don't think that you have an effect on anybody that way. 
because you're you and again like we all have our insecurities and we all just think mm-hmm. that we're just whatever we're just a person and how do I affect the world um and so I'm sure I don't know maybe you had that thought for a while and then realized when you kind of found out all these things about your sister it's like you know it, it it's it's sweet because you feel like oh my god like someone loves me on that level but then it's also like you have the thought of like oh shit like i i I might have messed someone up uh obviously it's not your fault but you know you still have that kind of guilt totally well and i um many years after my accident i actually um um went to try to get a stem cell treatment um an experimental stem cell treatment and when i and i was really nervous to tell my family and tell the world that that was something that i wanted to do Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and the reason why I decided to do it wasn't necessarily because I, I was like really hell bent on walking again. It was mostly, I, I just really wanted to live a really healthy life if possible. And I knew that if, if I could gain any sort of function or feeling or something that that would help me, you know, have a longer existence. And so, but what I, my point is, is when I first started sharing with people, even like coworkers and swimmers and things like that, that I wanted to go to, to India for the stem cell treatment. It was like this like magnetic light bulb and this just like overly joyous moment for everyone. And that, and everybody was like super supportive. And I had like all these cheerleaders and things. And it, and it was a really humbling experience for me because it was really the first time that I understood what my paralysis and my disability meant to everybody else in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like all of a sudden, you know, rather than my dad worrying about me going off to this underdeveloped country to get an experimental stem cell treatment, he was actually, you know, excited for me. And it was that, that was a really interesting and just sort of like a, a very reflective period for me to just kind of, um, take in and understand like, wow, I, you know, all of this stuff that had happened to me in my life, it impacted everybody else as well. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know how quick a tragedy can, because, you know, again, I know you said your family was going through a lot of trouble and turmoil, but mm-hmm. you know, you don't really know, you know, again, when people die, uh, or get into a, a terrible accident, you really don't know how much of a like a staple they are in that family and how much they impact everyone until something bad happens because you just think, okay, I'm just the daughter of this and I'm the sister of her and, and and then, you know, I'm this friend and I'm all that. And, you know, obviously being a person who didn't see much popularity beforehand and now people genuinely care about what you have to say and care about you going to India and trying to help however you can to benefit your life and it's it's a whole different different experience and you know i'm sure you probably didn't imagine one little thing not only changed your life but it changed a lot of other people's lives because now they're invested in you know the betterment of 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 ryan totally yeah um obviously how did it affect your your father and your your mother obviously i know they were going through a you know breakup and all that but yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned, they were having a hard time just coexisting. And and even uh, a couple of years leading up before my accident, um, 
you know, this is something that I haven't really spoken much about, but my, my mom was really struggling and I didn't understand it. I was a kid and, and I, you know, the first signs that I, then I knew something was wrong is it would get to be about nighttime and um, she would start just like kind of acting goofy and I didn't really understand it. And um, it kind of continued on and progressed to where um, my dad had gone to bed. My sister had not gone to bed and my mom would just kind of not be herself. She wouldn't talk correctly or, uh, this is her behavior was really off. And so it got to the point where I kind of, I was worried, but I didn't understand it and I didn't really know what to do. And so I didn't approach anybody else about it. And, and I just kept, kept, I guess, perpetuating it really. And got to the point where I would make my dad and my sister's lunch that night before I went to bed for the next day, whereas my mom was supposed to be doing it and, you know, try to get her to go to bed or try to get myself to go to bed. And, you know, and this happened, this occurred for well over a year of just trying to figure out what's going on. And it was, you know, pretty scary, um, but I didn't understand it. And it wasn't, it was finally one day, or one night, um, she was kind of chasing me around the house and, and just really upset at me. And I didn't know why. And I knew that if I went upstairs, it would wake my dad. And I did it anyways. And I went upstairs and I ran into my bedroom and I slammed the door. And so it woke my dad and and I could hear them having a conversation, but it wasn't anything like that I had imagined it to be or dreamed. It just was a very subtle conversation. They both went to bed. And um, long story short, I um, it kind of just it didn't it didn't go anywhere from that. My dad knew now that my mom was being strange, but you know, kind of approached me and asked what I wanted to do about it, and I didn't really know because again, I didn't understand. I didn't know what was happening. And so I, it wasn't until my accident happened and I was laying in a hospital bed and one of my friends came to visit me and he said, you know, I think that your mom smells like alcohol. And that was like the first time that I really thought that that, 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 that could be the reason why she was acting strange. You know, at that point I had no idea. I was, I was a kid and I thought maybe she was taking sleeping pills. I didn't really know. And I didn't understand, but, um, so that night, I looked in her purse and I did find bottles of alcohol. And so then that's when I first found out and that's, I was in the hospital, you know, struggling <laughs> my own self and now trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I move from this? And so, you know, like I said, my accident really kind of spiraled everything. And so, you know, as I was healing and getting better and, and, you know, back at home, things were just getting worse for my mom. And um, it wasn't until I was in college really that um, she hit what would you, you would call her rock bottom and she ended up having a seizure at her work and was sent to the hospital and uh, was in a forced rehab program there. And um, she, she recovered. She um, hasn't drank since then. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. And, and, oh, awesome. but it, it is awesome. And, the, and I commend her for that. Um, but it's really, really hard because I can't forget all the moments that were where she was. And, um, and I want to, and 
she, you know, to this day, we have a relationship and she's a really great Nana to my two kids. Mm. And I love that. Um, but it's still, our relationship is strained and, and that's really unfortunate. And, um, you know, I, I think I've come to a point in my life where I don't understand it and I will never understand it, but I, I am come to terms with it, I guess. And, um, and, and it is what it, it, it was what it was and it is what it is. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned to you that it's something that we haven't talked about. I don't think we've talked about her drinking since, since she was in her rehab facility. Um, and, and I, and I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if that's, for better or for worse or what. Um, and I did tell you that I did write about it in my book. And so obviously it's something that's important to me and it's a a big, big piece of my life. Um, but you know, it's hard. You know, again, I, I, I said to you before, like I wasn't trying to pry in your life and also didn't want to get on here just to beat your mom up because I'm very happy for her that she is sober and and she's doing much better. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because obviously I told you my uncle Bill just recently passed because of, he had many health complications, but it all started from alcoholism. And obviously, so I have an affiliation or, or an understanding for what you're kind of going through, even though I wasn't as close with my uncle as you were their mother. But I saw a person who deteriorated and, and, and became a different person and then tried to get sober. And then people around him enabled him to go back to it. And mm-hmm. he suffered. And of course, I'm happy that he's gone because he he's not suffering anymore. Um, but I see a lot of people around him who are still pissed and don't want anything to do with him. And he didn't get to see his grandchildren anymore because some of his mm-hmm. granddaughter or his great granddaughters, great grandchildren, because his granddaughter, um, you know, she her she had experiences with him where he just was drunk and off his ass and, and just ruined relationships, but she she held the grudge and now he's dead and I don't know how she feels about him. But it's like, you know, your mom obviously is still alive and I'm not gonna sit here and try to condone what she did, but obviously she didn't do the worst of things to you and she is still around and I don't know. Hopefully someday you can make the men's that you need to make because you don't want someone to die and then have that thought of, man, I could have fixed this. And again, I know it's not your fault and maybe it's not even your job to fix it. But as a person who is as strong as you are and has been through so much, sometimes you have to be kind of the light in the family to bring it all together. Even though I know there's a probably a party that feels like I don't have to because you didn't start this. Um, yeah. But I mean, Again, you don't know how much pain she's in and how much she hasn't shared with you and how much she has guilt. I don't, again, I don't know because I don't know your mother. Um, yeah, but, no, absolutely. But I mean, the fact that she, you know, she is still a great grandma and, and you know, she has changed a lot and, and fixed her life. Um, you know, you're at, a, you're at a point in your life where maybe, and again, I don't know, but you, you can try to make more amends and have these honest conversations with her because, you know, you don't know how long she is going to be around. Uh, no, right. no one does. You don't know how long you're going to be around because look how quickly your life almost ended. So, yeah. um, maybe, you know, maybe at some point you can have a deep, you know, conversation like you and I are having right now, but with her and maybe, you know, maybe it'll never get to be the way it ever was because look, I, I've, I've made amends with my father and we've had some bad terms and we're probably never going to be father and son, but we're at least close friends. Um, and I'll take what I can get because, you know, I hated him for a while 
And, but I realized he didn't molest me. He didn't beat me. He just, he was a drunk to some degree himself, but also he just was kind of verbally abusive to some degree. And, but he's not the worst person in the world and he is getting older and he's got, you know, sicknesses and I can't, I I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to anyone. And I just wanted to fix it, even though it wasn't my job to fix. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's some parallels between you and my life. uh, Weirdly enough, that's why it all comes out. (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I said, I don't want you to hold too much. Again, it's not my business, but I don't want you to just hold your mother to the fire too long because like I said, you just never know how long someone has because someone's life can end in an instant an instance. And yeah, you know, the fact that you have a relationship is, is something positive, but it could be better. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, something in, as I'm getting closer to publishing my book and I know that there are some of these stories inside of my book that um, I know that I need to have a conversation with her and I know that I need to um, reach out to her. And I am super hopeful that we can have an open conversation about things. Um, And I really, really do hope that it's a positive experience for both of us. And because I think you're right, I think that, you know, something needs to be said and um, with any, with any luck, she will understand beyond what I think that she might, you know, I, I'm very worried that I, that she may be closed off towards um, my experience with her when I was younger. And, and I, you know, I really hope that she can be open to listening and, um, and that we can rectify some things. And because I think ultimately I, I know that, that, through it all, there's never been a point that she didn't love me. And there's never been a point that she didn't try for me. I know that right. for everything that I am. So. And she might be super embarrassed and, and she probably blames sure. herself for a lot of, she might even blame herself for your accident. I don't know, but she might blame herself for a lot of what did happen to you. And maybe she could have been a better mother, you know, cause you, we go down this road of, we just start ridiculing ourselves um, and mm-hmm. obviously your relationship is more strained than it used to be. And I'm sure she, you know, there's a, she, she probably blames all that on herself, whether it's all her fault or not. Um, and it's probably hard for her to talk about because, you know, she has to, you know, real, she has to come out and tell everybody I have a problem and, you know, it's my fault. And that, and that's not easy for a person to do, uh, right. especially to her kids. Um, mm-hmm. but the main reason why I, I kind of juxtapose from when you were talking about your kids, is because, you know, obviously we all, div- you know, our family, especially since you, you have a family that you do love and some people have families that aren't the greatest, but you know, you have your own family now and obviously you're your own woman and you're your own mother now you're, you're a mother now. So, um, was there any, and I, you know, it's the last real question, like, especially about your mother to kind of beat her up a little bit, but was there any kind of pressure or any feeling in yourself, like, you know, wanting to kind of be the opposite of what your mother was because her genes are in you. And, you know, were you afraid to ever go down that road of whether of alcoholism or just whatever it was, because now you're a mother, um, and you don't want to pass on. Cause I think people don't realize you have to break the chain in the bad parts of your family. So a lot of times mm-hmm. it's usually passed on from her mom to the next. And again, I'm not saying that's the case, but you know, things get, not everything from your family is always great. That's passed on to you. Right. Um, and so like, was there any pressure in your mind to like go the opposite of your mother or, or, you know, were you afraid to be your mother when you get older in the well, negative ways? So, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, like, the moments that I remember in my early childhood of my mom, like, she was great, and she was always doing crafting projects with us and playing with us and um, and doing her best, and I do remember that. And, and in terms of, like, was I ever worried about becoming an alcoholic? And the answer is absolutely not, because I saw it. You know, I saw it firsthand. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, and me as a mom, I think that um, I am as best as I can be the very best of her. Right. Oh, that, and that, that really should be the end goal. Like, as I said, passing all these things down, you got to kind of be like a chameleon. You take all the good things from all the people in your life. And just delete the bad yeah. stuff because you, you're, you're going to be part of your mother. You're, you know, like I said, making amends with my father. There's still qualities in, of my father's in me, whether I like it or not. And mm-hmm. I keep the good ones and I delete the bad ones. Um, mm-hmm. He was a hard worker. That's that's good to keep, you know. But he also abused some things and, and that's you get rid of. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to beat my father up anymore because I've done that enough. But, you know, it, it's you, you, that's what you got to do. You have interactions with people and not every person has some bad in them and every person has some good in them, regardless mm-hmm. if you want to admit it or not. Um, but not you personally, but anyone. And, um, <laughs> sure. No, of course. And so, yeah, like your mom had something that not necessarily the, the most, you know, gr- it's not the greatest thing to admit, but it's also, she, she also was a good mom and she did do a lot of great things and she's become a great grandmom, of course. And, you know, so like I say, you just got to find ways to adapt to all the people that are in your life. And there's people in your life that you probably are like, yeah, they're great, but they have some things I don't necessarily agree with or like. Maybe they vote a certain way or, or whatever. They have feelings towards something else that you don't agree with. But, you know, they're, they're, they're in your life for a reason and they, they, it does benefit you to have them there. Um, and mm-hmm. if your mom was such a terrible person, obviously you probably would have never kept her in your life. Um, and, right. You know, and again everyone is susceptible to what she went through. It's just circumstances mm-hmm. and how your life changed. Like your life changed for a different reason than hers. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you just, you just, like I said, I think everybody feels like they're so far from some of these things and they're just not. You're one bad door, you know, you're one left turn or right turn away from going down a really wrong path, whether you would know it, whether it's your fault or someone else's it's not hard to become an alcoholic. It just isn't. There's a lot of pain and emotions that you go through in life. Um, and again, I don't know what was ailing your mom, but you know, and I'm not, I'm not condoning what she did, but it's not hard to become her. Like I said, my uncle Bill was a great person. He was a super talented, smart guy, but he took a path and it took him down a really wrong, rough road. Um, and it, 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 I think some people think that it's just the bad people that go through this stuff. And no, man, most of the good people are the ones that really suffer. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, but yeah, I think it's great that you still continue to have a relationship with her and, and you have morphed into your own person, but with also adapting the qualities that your mother, father, sister, and, and friends and whoever else you come across, you've adapted to their good qualities and, and it, it evolved and made you who you are right now. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, so, obviously, you, you, again, I, I know you had some stuff written down. Is there anything else before we kind of get into what you're doing today and how you've really developed? Is there, well, I know you had stuff written down, so is there anything else you really wanted to <laughs> delve into with, with your story? Because I don't want to miss anything. No, no, honestly, like that's that's what I mostly focused on. Okay. 
Um, yeah. So, so what, what are you, yeah. So what are you doing nowadays with your life? I know you're, you're, so today, you're married, you have kids, but what else is going yeah. on? Um, so yes, like you said, I'm married. I have two kids, a seven year old and a two year old boy. Uh, my husband and I own a small business, which is a coaching, a, a swim team that we coach and run. Um, and I just completed writing my memoir. Um, it's something that I started writing about a dozen years ago and not really knowing why or what stories that I chose. And to be honest, I wrote it completely out of order, chronologically speaking, and just kind of um, originally it was more of, I think, like a cathartic experience, almost like journaling. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was pregnant with my youngest, I realized like, hey, I really want to do this. I want to write a book. And so I started putting it all together. And um, at this point now, he's two, and I'm still <laughs> still finishing it up. But um, it's pretty much at this point done. And it's about to go to print um, in the next month awesome. or so. Yeah. And, um, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really nervous about it. it gives me like, exciting butterflies that also make me want to barf pretty much any given moment of the day. Why is that? Because um, you're talking it, about yourself? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to just like put yourself out there and you write a book, but then it's another thing that you're writing a book about you, you know? Right, right. Um, and, you know, there's stories in there that I haven't shared with people before. And they're, and since I wrote it over the last, you know, decade plus, there are stories in there that when I started editing it, I went back and I had forgotten about entirely. And um, there are stories that, towards the end of the of the book that were completely changed based on like what I thought they were going to be 10 years ago. Um, you know, meeting my husband and having kids and, you know, all of that stuff snuck its way into the book that I had never um, imagined for myself before. And so it's been, it's been a, a real roller coaster <laughs> to put it all together. And, um, and I'm sure I'm going to lose a lot of sleep right before it goes to print. But I think that, Ultimately, I, I'm doing it because I feel like it's important yeah. and, um, and I don't know to whom or to what, or, you know, what's going to happen once it goes to print. But I, I know that I'm proud of myself for doing it. Yeah, you should be. I mean, I'm proud of you and I just kind of got to know you, but. <laughs> I mean, you've been through so much. I think you can handle a little barfage as far as you talking about yourself. I mean, it's like I said, we we're just getting to know each other, and I genuinely have a lot of love and affection for you because you're you're a very inspiring person, and you've you've overcome so much, and you're continuing to just defy the odds, if you will, and and you know you won't give up, and and that's something that's very um, commendable. Um, no, thank you. Of course, have have you been able, you know, with what you do with you know, getting kids to go swimming and, and train them and all. Have you ever found a young you to train, like a, a prodigy? <laughs> you know, I haven't yet. Um, I always kind of keep my eye out because it's, you know, it's the disability world is, um, you know, it's a small, intimate world. And I think that if you have the ability to, to grab a hold of somebody that, um, you know, maybe needs some guidance to say, like, things are going to be okay and look at all these things you can do. Yeah. Um you know, that's something to, that I always kind of look out for. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I think that, you know, a disability is, is 
something that's very similar to just normal struggles that people have. And so I relate to a lot of my swimmers and a lot of the kids in different ways that are because of my disability and also not because of my disability. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just like a side note, but w- was there ever, because of all the damage that was done to you, was there ever a possibility that you thought you maybe you wouldn't be able to have any kids? Um, so there was never any anything um, biologically in terms that should keep me from having kids, but okay. um, but it the whole process of the pregnancy was was always um, it was really nerve wracking because I we didn't know if I would be able to carry the baby to term or be able to feel contractions or you know have a natural birth all of those things we just had to kind of like fly by the seat of our pants and so I feel very very lucky that I was able to have two very non-explosive <laughs> births and I was able to birth both my children naturally and um, I think there was a lot of luck and happenstance involved in them coming into the world safely and I just am very appreciative of the universe for that. Yeah and you're going to be a huge role model and example of you know, hopefully your kids will grow up and, you know, the, the, the girl like you who's looking for friends and, you know, maybe they'll pay attention to someone they see who's a little off or, or whatever you want to call it. I don't really have a filter, so my terminology is always shitty. But, you know, you, you find <laughs> someone who's just, you know, a little different and they're, they won't be afraid to be their friend. And they realize, you know, yeah. someone like you, you know, so, ho- hopefully they don't have to go through what you went through, but maybe they'll find someone who did. Yeah, I would say both of my sons are very, very observant of the world and extremely compassionate just by nature. And so I'm very blessed. How do you explain your, especially to your seven-year-old, who's a little more, he's older, how do you kind of explain to him why mommy is the way she is? Um, because obviously he you doesn't know, really understand. Yeah, and you know, it's it, it's it's a hard one because he's at the age where it's something he's always known and it's his normal as well right um but he's at the age that it he has learned now that it's not everybody else's normal and you know i've witnessed watching him on a you know playground structure and having a kid walk over it into him and say why is your mom in a wheelchair and you know and he i i don't know his true inner feelings and i'm not sure that he does either but for the most part, he just kind of blows it off. And it's like, my mom was in an accident. What's it? You know, like, let's go yeah. ride the play on the merry-go-round. I don't care. Yeah, next um, question. And so, it, yeah, and so at this point, I think it's, it's really like a non-issue for him um, because that's all he knows. But he does know that it is different. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way you can kind of be. Because, again, like I said, going back to where you were at, trying to find your own identity, and obviously you didn't have an example uh, where he does, mm-hmm. um, he's yeah. an example of how bad it can be. And, you know, the reality is your life wasn't that bad. You just weren't noticed. And, and a lot of kids go through that. It sucks. Um, but right. you know, with him, you know, there's always the peer pressure of, you know, Hey, you want to be cool, make fun of that kid. And it's like, well, I can't, my mom's, you know, my mom's this and you know, this kid, he's deaf or whatever. Why would I make fun of him? Because, Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so I, I think that's a good, you're a good example, obviously, because of someone he, you know, you obviously really close to him, you love each other, but he now knows that, you know, hopefully he knows that, you know, treat, treat everyone the same and be respectful because you just don't know 
what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to figure we did that we covered everything. I thought we did. I just don't want to kind of rush your story and. You know. Yeah, no, I feel, I feel very like at peace with our conversation and I feel like I, you know, kind of covered everything that I sort of set out to talk yeah, about good. today and. Good. I'm glad. Like I said, yeah, we, you know, I tell people all the time, like a lot of these people I have on, I just meet and we just connect. And um, I'm really big on with the disability community, people just supporting each other, because that's something that's really missed in our community, um, especially when it's we have different conditions. A lot of times people want to support totally. each other when it's like, oh, OK, I'm blind, not you're blind or visually impaired or whatever. But we're, we're in the same boat here. And it's like, OK, you and I are in a different boat in a way. But, you know. We're, we're, we're still in the same, you know, ocean, you know, we're, 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 we're next to each totally. other. We're, we're around each other. We have similarities. We know each other's pains. And in some ways we might not be able to know exactly what it's like to be in a car accident or you don't know what it's like to have all your skin burned off or whatever, but we know what true pain feels like emotionally, physically. And, you know, we've gone down similar heartaches and, and we know the, the trauma of what life can bring. So, um, I don't know why I couldn't, wouldn't be able to just understand your story just cause I can't completely understand doesn't mean I can't try to understand and, and accept what Absolutely. you have been through. And, um, like I said, anything you need from me, just, you know, um, your book, like I said, this podcast will come out some point next year, but I want you to, do you want to tell the name of your, your book and your memoir and all that? Yeah. Yeah. So my book is entitled when I grow up, I want to be a chair. Okay. Um, Can you explain the name? <laughs> I like the name, but yeah, thanks. Um, it, so, there's actually a lot of truth to it when I, you know, when you're like preschool age kid, people are always asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at one point I'm dead serious. I told people that I wanted to be a chair okay. and <laughs> okay. I never, I never actually understood it. And it was always sort of just like laughed at by my family. Um, and I tried to, you know, sort of rationalize it as like, maybe it's because I had a baby sister at the point and nobody would let me hold her. And so I just wanted to hold, like, I don't know what, yeah. I don't know where it came from. And like I said, like my mom was great in the sense that she let me have my own ideas and imagination when I was little. And so she just went with it. And, um, you know, and so I talk about it in my book a little bit, like, is this like something that I, you know, was having a premonition on, you know, that I <laughs> ended up being in this wheelchair when I was, you know, for most of my existence. But, um, and so it's just a really fitting title just kind of go full circle. Um, and at the end of my book, I talk about, you know, the other things that, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a mom and, um, yeah. you know, things like that. I wanted to be a writer and I didn't know it. I love that. You, I can tell you have a dark sense of humor too, because you kind of are making fun of yourself in a way as well. Um, which, yeah. that, you know, again, like I tell people like, you know, a lot of this stuff may come from pain, but it's how we, we cope and how we deal um, and mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like I said, you listen to the title of my podcast as my blurred opinion. It's, it comes from mm -hmm. being, I like puns and you know, I'm making fun of myself. Um, but you know, it, it, it also comes from a place of goodness and, you know, but it takes me back to a story where when I was in court, cause we were suing the hospital, uh, their mistreatment of me when I was younger and they had me on the stand just, you know, they wanted to just kind of get a feel for me. I was like five years old and they asked me what I wanted to be. And I said in front of the entire court that I wanted to be a tiger. And uh, <laughs> everyone laughed, the jury, you know, the defense team, like everything. Just it, 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 and, and of course I was embarrassed because I'm just a shy kid and whatever. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, you kind of really, it's funny when you're a kid and you just, you say things and you don't really, you just say what you want to be. I mean, of course you have the kids like, oh, I want to be Michael Jordan or whatever. And it's like, okay, that that's cute. But mm-hmm. when you actually have things like you, you want to be a chair or I want to be a tiger. It's like, yeah, okay. I haven't, well, I mean, I guess in some ways you kind of achieved what you wanted to be, but uh, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not a tiger, unfortunately. So <laughs> unfortunately, um, but yeah, so, okay. Like I said, I think that's, uh, I think that's it. Like I said, is it there's That's anything great. anything else you want to promote? Like I said, I'll put all your links and your social media and your book and everything when when it comes out. But uh, if there's anything else you okay. want to promote, please do because like I said, it's your episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm happy to have you on. You're a perfect example of someone of you know that is inspiring and that does a lot and you know you you overcome so much and I, I can't be i'm very grateful for people like you that exist because you you push the envelope and you you make it and it sounds stupid but you make it look cool to be disabled you know like there's people (laughs) just thank you because you know there's i understand the trauma and all the struggles and how you got to where you got to and i know it wasn't easy um yeah not even just physically just mentally just how you even got yourself to be where you are today is not easy at all and um you know, obviously you should be super commended and, and all that. And like I said, I'm very grateful to have you on and I'm hope we can keep in touch and anything you need from me, I'll support you. And, um, yeah, likewise. Okay. Great. Um, and we will talk soon. Like I said, thank you again for being yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk, talk soon. Later. And, uh, yeah. I'll see you okay. later. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right, guys, that was a uh, great, um, yeah, I just want to say rest in peace to my Uncle Bill. As I, as I said, kind of in there, just lost him. And just so you know, this episode is being recorded on December 9th. So uh, when this comes out, it'll be probably mid, uh, what is it, mid-2022. So, uh, But I did want to put it out there. I did say something on fa- Instagram and Facebook. So, uh, But I do, I'll miss him. He's a great guy. And um, But uh, as far as Ryan goes, she's a great person. And um, she's a good way to start off the the third year. Um, so thank you guys again for joining the show. Um, and just being a supporter of mine and, and, and just all these people, you know, I need you guys. We got to stick together and, uh, we will, uh, we shall do so. Oh, I turned that up too loud. See you guys later and, uh, take care of each other. Bye guys. <laughs>